Dr. Sam Bertoli hunched forward over the chessboard, frowning so severely that his thick, black eyebrows met and formed a single ridge over his eyes, then slowly reached out to advance his king's pawn one square. He relaxed only when the play screen flashed green. He had made the correct move, the same move Fischer had played in 1973 in Berlin. Then the board buzzed slightly, and the opposing bishop slid out on a diagonal and stopped. The computer was playing Fischer's opponent in that historical game, Botvinnik, and the move was an unexpected and subtle one. Sam frowned again and bent over the board. On the other side of the stainless steel table, Killer turned the page of a magazine. It rustled loudly in the intense silence of the emergency room. Outside of the hospital, the city rumbled and hummed to itself, surrounding them yet keeping its distance, but always ready to break in. There were 12 million people in greater New York, and at any moment the door could open and one or more of them would be carried in, white with shock or blue with cyanosis. Here on this table, on which they leaned so casually, blood-soaked clothing had been cut away, while the now silent room had echoed with the screams of the living, the moans of the dying. Sam moved out his queen's knight to halt the developing attack. The screen flashed red. This was not the move that Fisher had played, and at the same instant, the gong on the wall burst into clanging life. Killer was up and out of the door almost before his magazine hit the floor. Sam took the time to slide the chessboard into a drawer so that it wouldn't get stepped on. He knew from experience that he had a second or two before the call slip could be printed. He was right. Just as he reached the call board, the end of the card emerged from a slot in the panel. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're talking about the first page of Plague from Space by Harry Harrison, published in 1965. Uh, This was suggested to us from the Library of Alien Rosie on Twitter uh, by our friend Declan McCarthy. And joining us tonight is Michael E. Chow. Hey, Chow. Hey, how's it going? All right, how are you? I'm doing quite well. Yeah. Excited to be here. Are you familiar with Harry Harrison at all? No idea. Uh, I have read at least one book of his. I, I was writing a paper once on Apocalypse, so I, I read his his novel, Make Room, Make Room, which then got turned into the movie Soylent Green. Mm. I mostly remember that it is not the same. Like, Soylent is literally uh, soybeans and lentils, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of funny that that's like, it's like, how do you know you're an apocalypse? Like, you're eating soybeans and lentils. And you're like, well, that sounds pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, I've read a couple of his books. He has a like a short series about a character called the Stainless Steel Rat, and I th- read another one. I want to say it was called like Death World or something. Yes, it was Death World. Um, and I remember them being decent, but not leaving a strong impression. Hmm. That's fair. Is that is that how you're feeling about this first page? Yeah, that's that's a fair. A fair read, I would say. Although looking at it now, it does sort of like hey, I am seeing some of his hallmarks. Uh, like the thing I remember particularly about the stainless steel rat is a certain sense of like kind of slipshod characters who like 
you know, might be doing important things like performing surgery, uh, but are not necessarily the most uh, serious and organized about it. Hmm. It's funny. I don't know. Uh, reading this, you know, I, I stopped at uh, uh, 12 million people in greater New York and I had to just double check, like how many people are actually in New York now. <laughs> that's that's one of those like i think it's eight million is what wikipedia just told me but you know that's one of those things where like someone's like oh my gosh like they have a gigabyte of data and you're like okay like yeah <laughs> yeah i couldn't tell if the number was supposed to be too big or too small <laughs> indicating a future right where there would be 12 million in greater new york all caps greater new york right yep so well like that's like and i i think we're supposed to be like kind of awed by the cool you know, like a chessboard tablet that he's using, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, 1965. Yeah. Whereas today to be like, you know, like he's not playing Minecraft or. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think I can get that from the sharper image catalog. Hmm. I think one of the greatest challenges of writing anything sci-fi uh, or a future is the pace at which you drop exposition. Right. Um, and one thing I actually really appreciated about this opening page was like this like sets a world that is familiar yet just different enough in the details to catch your interest uh with characters who seem interesting uh, right you have a very like normal name in sam bertoli and then uh, somebody named killer Mm -hmm. where you're like what and you know and it's like oh this is an emergency room setting but they're also playing chess with this like on this board there's just like a slight you know slight differences from our expectations to start seeding in the world you're trying to set up and build. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I do like, you know, like it may be a simple trick, but having two people react in opposing styles to some stimuli with like Killer running out the door and Sam just like making his way. Like I see Sam as a guy who's like, I don't know, I kind of felt like he's, he's, he's kind of sighing a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're, we're jumping in here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's do our first line, which is, Dr. Sam Bertoli hunched forward over the chessboard, frowning so severely that his thick black eyebrows met and formed a single ridge over his eyes, then slowly reached out to advance his king's pawn one square. Which tells us a lot about, well, something about character and not a lot about setting just for a first line. Yeah, it's like, uh, I I saw on Twitter at some point someone made a joke about uh, how, you know, people in real life talk versus how people in screenplays talk. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mostly remember that because then I added like how people in improv scenes talk, uh, <laughs> but like, like Dr. Sam Bertoli, like that's nice. It tells us, you know, his career and like, we know what he's focused on here. And we know that like, he's really focused, even though he's making the tiniest move, you know, which tells us something about him, uh, and his focus, but like the world around him or any people in it. You know, we don't get, mm-hmm. I, I often find this coming, coming from like kind of a short story background myself. I always get into novels and think like, gosh, they're so slow. Like there's so many pages here of writing, but that's, I think my problem. Hmm. Yeah. The first line is interesting in that, you know, it really starts to set up on a very zoomed in scope in terms of establishing what's happening. You know, it's the moment to moment character focus, one perspective, single action, right? Yeah, and then this this whole paragraph gives us a really interesting like expansion of that aspect of his character because it's not that he's just playing chess. He's playing a specific chess game and 
uh, mimicking it. Right. There's a meta game. Yeah. 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 It's funny that for a book which, uh, you know, takes place in the future uh, and has a, you know, a, a very futuristic uh, cover uh, with a, a man in a spacesuit with some some scars or uh, pustules from a disease uh, that like, like not only are we focused here on Sam Bertoli, but like we're focused on what he's focused on, which is uh, the past. Although I guess actually also just uh, <laughs> if this book is 65, he's commenting about a game in 73. Oh yeah. That's, I guess that's the future for, mm. but still it is the character's past. Yeah. It's the dangers of playing with the near future. <laughs> Ten years later, your readers are like, wait, is this a thing that actually happened that I should be trying to look up? <laughs> but then at the beginning of the next paragraph, we're immediately introduced to Killer, who gets no description, really. Like, he's got an action that he's doing, but there's nothing that tells us why his name is Killer, why there's a person named Killer in this room. Um, and we're left to try to extrapolate that. Sorry, I just have to add. Uh, in 1965, uh, Bobby Fischer won his seventh U.S. championship, uh, and in 72, he played like his last public game hmm. for for 20 years, I think, uh, or, or almost. Anyway, sorry, I just thought that was interesting. Hmm. Like in terms of like writing science fiction and extrapolating, you're like, oh, 65, this guy's a champion. Like, you know, in 70, you know, he's in the 70s, he's going to still be like cleaning up. It's like, actually. <laughs> Bobby Fisher, you, you can't really extrapolate uh, where he's going to end up. <laughs> no, you uh, can't. Yeah, but yes, you know that 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 character of Killer kind of reminds me of like there's something about that. I, I have to assume it's a nickname, uh, but makes mm. me think like like a character from a, a Dennis Johnson story has just wandered in. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever read um, what is it, uh, Train Songs or or Jesus's Son? I think is the one that I'm thinking of that has. Like there's just like just a, a a collection of like misfits, you mm-hmm. know, and some of the stories take place in a, a hospital with like uh like a, a a drug addict orderly, but like so I had to sort of like readjust like oh like there's a guy named Killer here like what is he doing oh he he's reading a magazine which is like the least killer thing uh, I can think of mm-hmm. yeah it's it's sort of a whiplash between like immediately being like is there someone in this in this scene drenched in blood and being like, Oh no, this is more of a Hawkeye Pierce kind of thing. Uh, I'm not familiar with Hawkeye Pierce. Oh, one of the main characters from mash mm. and a lot of the, the main, most of the main cast in mash gets nicknames like Hawkeye, BJ, hot lips. Um, in the early episodes, there's one that is super racist that I won't repeat. And that did not know was there till I went back to rewatch some mash a couple of months ago. <laughs> It's like, wow, y'all put this right on the air. Uh, but I think that's that sort of puts this in that tradition of like not precisely wartime hospitals, but hospitals in that vein of like seeing a lot of action and not and like and having to cope by not being entirely serious the rest of the time. Not knowing the story, too. I think what, uh, what I thought that has me kind of amused is uh it's unclear if Sam Bertoli will be a main character, uh, if Killer will be a main character, or if these are like the cold open idiots who died to the space plague and like mm-hmm. by the end of the chapter and then we get to the action, right? Um, that's kind of fun to think about. Yeah. Because the title 
yeah, the title of this of, of the book has such a clear and clean promise, right? Plague from space, mm-hmm. you know. So we're gonna we're gonna get to the plague. It's from space, you know. The tagline on the cover says, "The space probe returned to Earth carrying a cargo of writhing death." So there's gonna be a lot of death, right? So who knows who makes it? Yeah, this is this is one of those covers that has like a lot of promotional text on it, which is always really interesting. <laughs> got to get people to read it, you know, mm-hmm. get them excited. Yeah. I wonder if the, the like almost monochromatic, like it's mostly red with a little black. Like, I wonder if that was a, uh, a business decision, like a, a publishing cost saving measure, but like, it's also very striking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I, if I had picked up a book that promised a, a, a cargo of writhing death and then I got <laughs> a, uh, a chess match, <laughs> Uh, and a guy named Killer reading a magazine. Like, I, th- I think there would be a moment. To, I, I, I think actually, uh, whiplash is a really good uh, phrase for like a lot of what I felt in this story. Or like, mm-hmm. there, there were a lot of times where I had to like recalibrate, like, like okay, what's going on here, uh, or or how should I feel about things? And partly that's like, I guess, because no one is really reacting that much except to the alarm, and then they have opposed reactions. You know, so like again, when, when I hear. 12 million people in greater New York, you know, like in another story, someone would say like, oh gosh, it's so crowded here in greater New York. And I'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, that's what I'm supposed to feel, you know, or if someone said like, gosh, like, you know, it's so nice that we have all these people that we saved from, you know, that, uh, you know, rising sea tides, uh, in greater New York or yeah, it's all really bad dialogue, but like <laughs> it would have some feeling behind it. Whereas here it's just like, okay, this is the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a sterility that sort of belongs in that emergency room that I think the the structure of the text represents pretty well. Hmm. Yeah, the writer definitely just feels like they are so, like really skillful in terms of their ability to cleanly deliver exposition in a way that feels that that is paced well and feels organic to the story that they're trying to lay out, at least so far. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's it's that um, good sort of like structured exposition that focuses on character and just tells you things by making them part of the detail. Like the fact that he just drops Greater New York with all caps, like tells us that we're in a setting that isn't quite the world that we know, but doesn't bother dwelling on it because that tells us everything we're going to need for the for the moment. Yeah, I was just thinking today about... Uh... So I was, I was reading a little bit about Harry Harrison, uh, and I, I don't rec- recall anything that I read. So, <laughs> uh, but, um, actually, no, there was one thing, uh, he started as an illustrator, I think, oh. and like worked in comics. Uh, I think that's, that's true. Um, but I, I was just thinking today about like, uh, like about the pulp writers back in the day who like, you know, turned out several stories a week, uh, and in like multiple genres. So that like. Uh, Anthony uh, Butcher, I think, is how you pronounce. It. I have no, I have no idea. I didn't pronounce it. Uh, I'll just say uh, Anthony Butcher, who I know as a science fiction writer, uh, also gives his name to uh, the uh, a meeting of mystery writers uh, because he just wrote so many mysteries. Mm-hmm. I always have to remember, like when, when a friend of mine mentions going to ButcherCon, I'm just like, like, but you don't write science fiction. I'm like, oh no, that, right, his other thing, or like Elmore Leonard mm-hmm. writing like westerns and then writing, you know, crime fiction. Uh, with the uh, equal panache. Uh, I guess I was thinking about Harry Harrison as kind of like in that 
in that vein and like friends with many of those people, mm. you know, like in, in, in clubs with Asimov and Sturgeon, et cetera. Uh, uh, but like, this is really controlled in a way. Uh, like you were saying, I mean, when, when I hit that, the end of that, that phrase, you know, the, the screams of the living, the moans of the dying, mm. I was kind of like, okay, like, like he's pushing a little bit, but like, he's like, this is not what I expected, I guess, from the plague from space or plague from space. Mm-hmm. There's no article there. Uh, what do you mean by pushing a little bit? Well, like, uh, I, uh, here on the table on which they leaned so casually, blood soaked clothing had been cut away. While the now silent room had echoed with the screams of the living, the moans of the dying. Like, I, I guess I'm thinking that uh, it is almost turning into something a little more pulpy and less restrained or less uh, realistic, uh, which is not usually a term I uh, go for. Mm. Not, not really a thing I guess I believe in. But like, uh, you know, like like the screams of the living could be a tagline for like any, you know, hammer horror film. Like it's a little... Uh, out there like you know whether it it could be pushed for like camp or kitsch or you know just played uh straight uh in a way um did it read as campy or kitschy here no no i don't i don't think so and i i think that's what what i'm responding to that like like i don't know i I yeah he sort of like he he drips it in there Mm -hmm. like as we we mentioned he's been sort of very controlled and very clean and like zoomed in but emotionally distant Mm-hmm. up until that line and then he says here on this table on which they leaned so casually blood-soaked clothing had been cut away while now the silent room had echoed with the screams of the living the moans of the dying and then immediately goes back to talking about chess pieces he just like dips into that intense like unpleasantness and then pulls right back out in a way that uh, seems very intentional to me. Right. To me, that definitely is setting up the kind of uh, numbness and clinical nature of your, the, the perspective characters that we've been given so far, right? And, and how they respond to emergency room environments, right? Where screams and moans are as normal and neutral as the silence of the room in the present state, right? I think it's also worth noting that that line specifically is calling out um, sound in a very pronounced way that hasn't happened in this story thus far. And so it's kind of our first like mental image of sound mm. and first like hitting of that sense of that sensory uh, input. Right. So like kind of gives us this really jarring moment, like mental image and such moment, And then immediately goes back into what you're, what we've called out as this kind of more uh, cold and, and expositionally like uh, concise language that goes through the rest of it. So yeah, I think it's, done with intention and fairly effective for mm-hmm. what it's trying to evoke. Yeah. It's also, uh, now that you mention, now that you mentioned, it's also an interesting change in the color because like we've talked, he's talked about chess pieces being black. And then the line before is about, uh, how people would come in white with shock or blue with cyanosis. And then we cut to blood, which obviously is red and it's an interesting contrast. And I guess we see red a little bit later too. Um, but it's, it's sort of some interesting sensory data that we have there. Yeah. It's interesting just to, to go back. I, uh, it, it's funny cause, uh, for, for one summer I worked at, uh, Mount Sinai hospital and like I, I, that stainless steel table is also very colorful to me. 
Mm. Uh, you know, just, I, I have that, that image. Uh, but it is curious just to like map out the, like the, the sensory detail or lack of like that second paragraph mentions like the city humming. And then we get the, the people, uh, and, and like the, the city humming is not like a happy hum exactly. Like it's always, it's always ready to break in. Mm. Uh, and then we get the screams of the living, the moans of the dying. And then we switch back to the first paragraph, the first paragraph's topic, the, the chess game for like one and a half sentences. And then the chess game is interrupted by like a sound, the, the gong on the wall burst into clanging life. It's kind of funny. Like it's almost as if I mean, th- this is not a uh, literal foreshadowing, but like in a way that a book teaches us how to read it, like, mm-hmm. like we have the first paragraph about chess. The second paragraph has like sound and the third paragraph goes from chess interrupted by sound. Uh, and in a way, like, I guess it kind of sets us up for that. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost kind of like a musical structure where we start very quiet and then build to, to a near crescendo with the screams of the living, the moans of the dying, and then get quiet again for one short paragraph before the bell goes off. I'm also curious if the intention of the meta game chess game is to try to recreate Bobby Fischer's play or like, cause you know, he's getting green and red cards based on whether or not he made the move that Bobby did. Um, but the way that the bishops move uh, from the opponent was described made me wonder, it's like, oh, is this literally just a sequence testing a memory game or is he trying to respond as Bobby Fischer would respond? Right. So like the premise of the meta game, I'm, a little distracted by like what it how does how's this supposed to work and i i doubt that's the point because i imagine <laughs> this the emergency surgery that's about to happen is about to take the precedence of what we're going to be talking about in the story but in this very zoomed in analysis of just this one page yeah. has me wondering i i was also wondering that like it was a little bit distracting like is he playing to recreate or is he playing to win right what's the what's the actual meta game here I wonder if you took uh, three random people on the street, if they would be like, but like, wait, how is this game designed? Yeah. As opposed to us here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is uh, admittedly where my brain lives. Yeah. So that would be funny if they're like, oh, they they're like, like they just left it an improv show, you know, like and there was a murder. Like, wait, tell me about the improv show. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like this. I wasn't prepared uh, to like this as much as I do. Yeah, I from the cover, I was expecting something pretty schmaltzy, over-the-top, camp. And I was like, oh, I'm hooked. This is a strong, like, in terms of, like, I, I would be excited to read the first chapter. And I feel like, you know, you would hold this chapter and be like, ah, oh, yes, this is a strong first chapter if you're querying to sell a novel. Because, you know, it hooks the reader in, and all, all of that kind of stuff went through my head. I'm like, oh, this is, like, really sharp, really well-written. The prose is really, like, tight. Uh, it kind of sets up some interesting things. It, um, you know, understands its genre and the challenges of laying out exposition and starts to do so immediately, but at a pace that is, feels natural, right? Like all, all that good stuff. Uh, so I agree. I'm like, Hey, from a craft standpoint, I really admire it so far. And from a story standpoint, I'm like, yeah, I'm interested. I'd read more of this. This is cool. Yeah. That, that is sort of thing that I think I remember about Harrison's other writing is that it's like, it's very pulp on the surface and in like the the pitches and the structures but it's a much more thoughtful like much more thoughtfully written 
than you'd expect from classical pulp. It's like meta pulp. Hmm. Yeah. Just as a uh, side note, Mm -hmm. uh, something like, I wonder, uh, I wonder how many novels there are with plagues from space as, as major drivers of the plot. Do you count comic books? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that makes it a much larger number, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is unrelated, but since I have the Wikipedia up, apparently Harry Harrison was a big early advocate of Esperanto. What is Esperanto? Uh, It's a made-up language that was designed to be a universal human language. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, That's right. He was the honorary president of the Esperanto Association of Ireland. It's like a very reasonable language, uh, very romance language derived, if I remember correctly, which mm-hmm. I think raises some questions about its universality. But, eh, eh. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and there's there's of course one movie done in Esperanto uh, with uh, William Shatner, and it's a, a supernatural thriller. I think. Hmm. I feel like a lot of sci-fi authors, like just my vague impression of sci-fi history it's like we're invested in things like that right where it's like oh this this universal language or this you know like future like potential like thing unifying thing right yeah sort of going hand in hand with futurism as a sort of philosophical and practical study yeah i'm curious for someone who doesn't play chess how much more impenetrable and unappealing this first chapter becomes (laughs) or this first page Right, because I think uh, I'm, I, I assume I'm correct in assuming in this collection of three guys, we've all played chess and are like, oh yeah, we get you know like, we get what these references are and what they're talking about. But I know for me, whenever I read any kind of fiction, especially uh, there's often times where, especially in American fiction, there there'll be very specific cultural references that I'm just like, nope, <laughs> don't know what that is. And I know depending on the degree to which that's true, it becomes hard. Like it becomes a, a barrier to overcome sometimes within reading a text or finding enjoyment of it. Um, and a mm. personal pet peeve of mine when it comes to writing is things that are too self-referential or like very like feels very inside baseball-y and like, oh, if you have a PhD, you'll really appreciate mm-hmm. this. But if not, then, you know, right. So like, um, obviously not to that degree here, but uh, I am curious about like the choice to make the opening section be so focused on a very specific game uh, is an interesting one. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if uh, like <laughs> uh, I, I have a friend who's gotten very into chess recently mm. and like, mm. w- would she look at this and say like, well, these, this is, these are nonsensical moves or, you know, would she look at this and uh, I mean, that's, that's always a question with, with like very specialized things that are being deployed for uh, perhaps their thematic resonance. Right. Like I imagine writing in 65, like, so like chess is a big deal uh, in 65. Um, well, I don't know. I'm guessing on that. Uh, with, with, with <laughs> I was going to say, is it? Well, like that's like, I, like chess has always been kind of like, a big deal uh, for like a certain set of people. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but like, a- especially like 65, it's like, like proxy cold war. Yeah. Stuff. Like if Bobby Fisher uh, is active, then it is the biggest deal that it's been in recent history. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. it's just like, yeah. Like can Americans defeat Russians? Uh, you know, or like, I was just reading something about how 
there was uh, supposed to be a tournament in Cuba, but like it had to get moved uh, for political reasons. Because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. like Bobby Fischer couldn't get a, a, a visa <laughs> to go there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like, like, I mean, and chess means something like chess is like, oh, chess is nerdy and like focused and abstract uh, in a way uh, that like other other games may not be. Uh, like it, it's it's not a game for like every man. Uh, like <laughs> like you know, it tells us about this person. So like, I wonder if like if you were writing this in the eighties, would it be like I don't know, squash or something? <laughs> uh, well, I think chess, even if it was in the eighties, chess does carry with it this uh, kind of like mystique of intellectualism, mm-hmm. right? And like you're smart if you play chess, right? Which is you know, I'm sure it makes it very intentional like earlier you said well if this was in 2021 they'd be playing minecraft or we wouldn't be so impressed by the technology yeah. and i'm like i don't know if that's true i think like you'd probably still reference something that's a very cerebral game right and chess is this kind of fairly culturally recognized for that it does also make me wonder if the cold war cold war illusion of that is intentional like specifically, like he names Fisher, he names uh, Budvinnik as his opponent, and I wonder if that's gonna play into the themes and like there will be some like bio weapon aspect to the Plague from Space or like some like hmm. specifically international politicking going on. Yeah, or uh, like a uh, humanity must uh, unite against this threat. Hmm. Uh, as we know, humanity unites uh, so well uh, against plagues. Yeah. Um, Oof. I, I will say uh, a- after I said something about like uh, after uh, I said something about him uh, uh, in 2020 playing Minecraft, I thought about like if I walked in and like my surgeon was playing Minecraft, you know, how would I feel about that? Mm. Uh, I think I would acknowledge the uh, universal appeal of games like <laughs> Minecraft, Fortnite, and Roblox. <laughs> It'd be great to be like walk in and just be like, yes, like give me the Anastasia, but like hold on, I, I need to just catch this Pokemon that's here. That'd be great if like uh, there there were more uh, Pokemon trainer tra- training centers in hospitals. Who hmm. would it? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, the OR is a gym and it's always red. Oh, hmm. do you guys often do you do you guys f- tend to f- like go on and? finish the books that you reference I mean, and some of them i'm sure you've read before but like it, it's do you take this opportunity of like hey we've talked about them first page and we really took this deep dive okay now now i've talked myself into a frenzy i gotta go finish this book or do you have the discipline to just i let it be i have the opposite of the discipline which is that i like there are some of them that i've put on a list like i should read this i should reread this i haven't successfully <laughs> finished a book in like two years so oh Big mood, yeah. yeah. I feel that. Yeah, I, I think of the uh I don't know how many we've done so far. I think I've read three or so of them. There is definitely something where like like I will read a page and after reading it, I'm just like, what is this? Like I don't care about this. And then I talk about it for twenty minutes. I'm like, oh, like there's something here. Like this person puts some care and craft or like uh passion uh into this book. I'm like, maybe I should read it. Mm-hmm. Has there been a most memorable first page that you've read so far? And and then here's the follow-up. How does this first page rank in general in your map of first pages so far? Well, uh, memorable. <laughs> hmm. Maybe we should do like an anniversary episode yeah. uh, after a year just to say like, 
what do you remember reading? <laughs> Best or, of. Yeah. It'd be great to be like, what do you remember reading? Like, I don't remember anything. Uh, it's all, it's all gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm someone who like, I, I, I have to check my, like, I, I write down what books I read and like what I thought about them. Hmm. And then if someone says like, oh, like, did you read that? Like, I have to check my list. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, I think this is probably in the top half of pages. Okay. Since we've we've read some stuff that's actively bad. Um, <laughs> so like, oh, I actually do have a list in front of us. Um, yeah. I will say like, uh, in, in terms of things that like kind of struck me as either being like better than I expected or like having something of some interest, like Jaws was up there like again i kind of thought like oh this is going to be like a, a pulpy you know uh, uh like a uh yeah like and it, uh, this is going to be an airport thriller that was turned into a, a great movie and i read it i was like oh there's you know this is you know again like very controlled very like like this person didn't just like type out a book like he 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 typed it out and then like edited it at yeah. least once <laughs> uh, which is That's always a high high bar here on this podcast yeah. so they've edited it once yeah <laughs> Um, I mean, I All think right. if I had to pick a best page in terms of quality, it would probably actually be Shop Girl, Steve Martin's novel, mm. which and, you know, in in balance, it's pro- one of the few like straight literary novels that we've covered. So like the the like the writing is front and center, like as a priority. What do you mean by literary novels? Um, It's always sort of hard to de- define that like non-genre like we've done a lot of pulp we've done a lot of science fiction mm. uh and it's like like more of a there's never there's never like i don't think anyone's quite defined the category very well but like literary fiction as um not necessarily serious fiction but um like there's a, there's a lot of value judgments that go into the conversation which is why i'm yeah, yeah. sort of skirting around it because i don't want to say anything i don't mean um well google hits us with literary fiction is a term that has come into common usage in the early 1960s the term is principally used to distinguish serious fiction which is a work that claims to hold literary merit in comparison from genre fiction and popular fiction yeah which is not something i believe but which is a definition that i'm dependent on for the conversation um yeah i think that it that is a broader conversation uh that is interesting of you know what kinds of stories we assign merit to and assign literary and scholarly and like you know thinky worthy you know like worthy of analysis books versus like the fact that we uh like exclude uh sci-fi or things that typically gets categorized as pulp is definitely interesting because like the craft involved in writing such stories obviously there's like you know poorly written or like you know kind of less uh craft-centric executions of those uh, genre stories but there are obviously stories uh, that fall into those categories that i think have a lot of really interesting literary devices and like kind of meat on the bones to kind of chew through and in addition to the kind of like pace and, and content as well so yeah then on the other end of the spectrum we covered tarnsman of gore which I feel pretty safe in saying it was probably the worst page that we've done. <laughs> um, and also a page that l- launched a massive empire of pulp novels. Uh, 
that have a very dubious place in the history of the genre. Hmm. Cool. Well, Plague from Space, top half. Yeah. Doing all right. Well, on that note, uh, anyone have any final thoughts about this page? I think I'd probably, if I could, you know, the the academic version of me that functionally reads novels would definitely look into this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And like, I've, I've read enough, like some other Harry Harrison is definitely like solidly enjoyable, well-built fiction. Yeah. That's one thing. Sorry to, to, to go back to what you're saying, but like, there's something about like, like the, if you've ever heard someone recommend a book as like a fun beach read. Or like I mm. always talk about like airport thrillers mm. as like right, right. like something that like was a category and I guess still mm-hmm. still might be but like there's something about uh, that's like I think most things actually will uh, reward some sort of sustained attention mm. uh, you know even if it's like you know like people say like oh you're just reading in to something it's like well that's fine like yeah <laughs> like what do you think reading is yeah. uh, but um. Uh, but like this, you know, I, I, I think I would definitely put this on my list of things to read after, you know, uh, you know, I haven't always been, uh, happy that I finished, uh, one of the books that we've read for this, mm-hmm. uh, but, <laughs> but I feel like this so far from this, I don't maybe it's just that, like, what I actually need is another podcast. That's like, uh, every page, but the first, <laughs> uh, we go on for a few hours, but, uh, we'll, we'll invite you back for that one. Mm. Uh, Excellent. I think they just call those book clubs. Um, <laughs> not an expert. Yeah. And the, the, the rooms where they're, they have these are called libraries. But uh, <laughs> I will say, uh, final thought for me is if I saw this cover, I would have not have picked up this book. But if I read this first page, I might have kept reading. So there you go. Here's me judging books by the cover. <laughs> and also the, the, the vagaries and challenge of designing those book covers. Is yours? I kind of like this cover. I like the the color work a lot, but then I'm also fairly open to like real pulpy pulp, so that's not necessarily a red flag for me. Pardon the expression. <laughs> I, I, I will say one thing about uh, doing this podcast is that sometimes you know we'll say like, oh, and like here's the cover. You know, and this was the like 1970 version, and like here's the 2020 version that looks mm. kind of generic or like like th- that seems to happen a lot where like right like the like the older like yeah see, i see i don't want to say like the older version was better but like it, it very it, often it is. has more well it, ha- it has more feeling of the the time and place in which it was so it's set apart from my day-to-day life <laughs> which takes place now mm. uh theoretically uh and so the the older version uh hooks me more by being more different from what i'm expecting uh, to see. Mm. That's fair. Ugh. Now I'm rambling. Mm. Yeah. Then you want to take us home? Um, yeah, I think that is time for us. So, uh, each out, where can people find you online? Uh, I am, uh, posting too much on Twitter at any time. Uh, the good news is it's mostly dog pictures. So you can always find me at Michael E. Chow on Twitter. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Finn LeBate, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io, and you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space or on Twitter 
at ChimeraPod or on your podcast app of choice. And I've been your other host, Ben Blattberg. You can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week, weather permitting. <laughs>